Okay, so um, the topic that we're going to do tonight is in many ways a continuation of the discussion that we had uh, Friday night by the Oneg. It's going to be, it's going to revolve around that same halacha, but now we're going to see that there's um, some very interesting um, dimensions to this question. Uh, it actually relates to this week's parsha, to parsha Samiketz, which is also uh, exciting and has some interesting um, stuff related to um, the time we find ourselves in, the uh, the current events which are going on right now towards the end. So we'll try and uh, bring all of this together into one nice, neat little package where everything works out just perfectly, because we like that better that way. All righty. Um, it's there on your screen. Okay. Take that. Yes, I just have to make you guys bigger so I can see you. Okay, so the uh, the topic, as you can see uh, from the heading, is restrictions during famine and war. So we're going to begin with the Gemara in Tainus. Um, and the Gemara there is going to lay down the uh, the foundation of the uh, discussion for uh, today. Um, in terms of explicit uh, sources in the, in the Gemara, this seems to be the only explicit source to this uh, this halacha, but as you're going to see, it leads to some pretty interesting uh, uh, analysis. Okay, so we begin with the Gemara in Tainus on Dafyur Aleph Amad Aleph. So it says as follows. Amar Reish Lakish. So Reish Lakish says, So it is prohibited, and that's the language which the Gemara uses, it's prohibited for a couple to be intimate during years of famine. So when there's a drought and there's a famine and people are starving, so this is a time where the language of the Gemara is that it's also. The, the Gemara uses the language that's prohibited. Shinemar, how do we know this? Because the Pasuk says, Ulu Yosef Yolad Yulad? Yulad. Yulad. Yulad Shnei Banim Beterm Tavo So the Torah tells us that Yosef had two sons. He had a Ephraim and Menasha before the years of famine began. And obviously the emphasis, which Chazal understand from here is, is that why do you have to mention that it was before the famine? It must be that if it was during the famine, he wouldn't have uh, attempted to have children. He wouldn't have uh, been intimate with his wife. And therefore the Torah goes out of its way to tell us that these children were born before the famine actually began. And now once we're on this uh, topic, so now, Tana, the Brysa now tells us, that although, so far as far as we know, there's an Isser for intimacy during a year of famine, during a time of famine, those who don't have children, and this is going to be significant in our discussion, those who don't have children, meaning they haven't fulfilled Puravu yet, so they are allowed, and Tana Rabbanan. And now the Brysa tells us that a, a very important conceptual idea which frames really what this iser is, what the prohibition is, and in, in the uh, the significance of it. So the Brisa teaches: when Klai Yisrael is in a state of distress, upirish and somebody goes ahead and separates himself from Klai Yisrael, tries to exclude himself and say, "Let everybody else go ahead and suffer. I'm moving off to the Cayman Islands. I'm going to wherever it is, and uh, I'm, I don't have to be concerned about what's happening." The two malachim, which typically accompany a person where they go, 
uh, in English we would call them guardian angels, in Chazal they call them Malachi Sharis, probably the same ones that come home with you from Shul on a Friday night. And they go ahead and these two Malachim place their hands on the head of the person who does not want to uh, feel the pain and the distress of Klai Yisrael. And they declare, that this fellow or this gal who are not participating with the tzibor, not suffering with the tzibor, they should not see, they shouldn't experience the comfort, meaning the salvation at the end of the distress. So only those people who join together in the tzara of Klai Yisrael will be able to experience the salvation in the comfort when things are set straight again. Those people who don't want to participate, they exclude themselves, so they're not going to be able to experience the goodness at the end of the, uh, the light at the end of the tunnel. Similarly, Tanyidach, another Brisa teaches, when a person is, when Klai Yisrael is in, or not even Klai Yisrael, when a tzibor, when a community is in Tsar, al yomer adam, a person should not say to himself, eilech lebesi Listen, I'm going home, I'm going to eat and I'm going to drink, I'm going to be fine because I, my cupboard is filled with food, I went ahead and made a uh, Sam's Club order or a Costco order before all of this started, so I am well stocked and ready to go for the next uh, few months. And let there be peace on my soul, and I'm not going to be concerned about what anybody else is doing. Person should not adopt that perspective. That's a that's a bad perspective to adopt. And if a person does that, and the Gemara goes on to quote Psukim, which talk about that there's going to be a negative consequence for those who adopt such a perspective. Now, Ad Khan Midas However, this is not the worst attitude that a person can adopt. This is actually the average attitude that a person would adopt, where they say, I'm so sorry that other people are suffering. Baruch Hashem, for me, it's okay. I have comfort. I have a roof over my head. I have food in the in the cupboard. I have water to go ahead and drink, and I am fine. But the, the attitude of Rishayim, those who are wicked, is even worse. And again, Psukim, which relates to that, we don't have to go through. Ella, so what is the uh, position, what is the perspective that a person should adopt during a time of sorrow for Klai Yisrael? Yisair Adam Imat A person should make an effort to feel the distress of Klai Yisrael as they are experiencing it. What's the precedent for that? How do we know that this is what you should do? Because we find by Moshe Rabbeinu that he went out of his way to experience the tzara of Klal Yisrael. Where did Moshe Rabbeinu go out of his way to experience Klal Yisrael's tzara? Shenemar, as it says, Vide Moshe Kevedim, when Yeshua was battling uh, Amalek, and Moshe Rabbeinu was holding up his arms to inspire the nation. And the Pasuk says that Moshe's arms got tired, they became heavy. It's sort of like holding a baby long term. And they went ahead and they took a stone and Moshe Rabbeinu sat upon it. Now, the question is, Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't find a pillow or a mattress or an air mattress at least that he could go ahead and he could sit a little bit more comfortably. He didn't have a lazy boy chair. You know, I'm sure uh, Amazon delivered back then. So, what would? Uh, wh- why was Moshe Rabbeinu sitting himself on a boulder somewhere? Elakach Amar Moshe. Rather, Moshe Rabbeinu said to himself, 
Hov Yisrael Shrui in Bitsar, being that Kla Yisrael is in a state of distress. Afani Eye Imam Bitsar, I cannot go ahead and enjoy the comforts which I can access, and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to experience distress with everybody else. And again, the Gemara tells us that anybody who makes sure to go ahead and experience the tsar together with the tzibur, the distress of Klai Yisrael, uh, as they are experiencing it, such a person will experience the nechama, the comfort which comes at the end of the story when the distress is gone and Klai Yisrael is in a better place. So this is the idea of, which we say, porish minat tzibur, somebody who separates himself from the tzibur, so that's not a good place spiritually, religiously to, uh, to be. And one specific manifestation of this, which is now going to become the more primary focus of the, uh, the rest of the shir, is this halacha about the prohibition, the potential prohibition to have to engage in intimacy during a time of famine. Okay, so on this Gemara here, right away, Toso says, Toso challenges this assertion of Reish Lakish that it's Asr based on the precedent of Moshe Rabbeinu. The fact that the Torah says that Moshe Rabbeinu had his children before the famine, indicating that during the famine he did not. And Tosos, right over there, asks the question. He says, I don't understand. Vim Tomar, because you can easily ask, We know that Yocheved was born as Yaakov and his 11 sons and their families were traveling from Canaan into Mitzrayim. And she literally gave birth, giving birth in, uh, in Raven, Ohio, that's one thing. But a mamish gave birth, as they were walking through the walls of uh, into Mitzrayim as they went through the Rafa crossing or something. So they went ahead and that's where they uh, that's where she was born. And and we know that the reason why Yaakov and the sons were moving from Canaan to Mitzrayim is because the world was experiencing famine at that time. And if they may have very well been two years into the famine or so, so that means clearly she was uh, she was conceived during the famine. So how could you tell me, this is the thumb of Tosus, how could you tell me that it's usher to go ahead and have relations during a time of famine? Yocheved was born during that time. And clearly then, they must have been engaging in intimacy during a time of famine. So why look to Yosef as precedent to say that such, such a behavior is usher? Why not look at Yocheved? And look at, uh, at uh, her conception, which would indicate that it is permitted, because how else did she? Uh, how else was she conceived? Yeah, yeah she so, was the daughter. She was the daughter of Levi, so it would have been Levi, right? So it would have right. been Levi that had the relations, right? So what? But, uh, so what was going on? And what's even more interesting, we'll see this hinted to later on, is that Levi was in Canaan, where seemingly the uh, the famine was being felt. They actually had no food. Yosef was in Mitzrayim. He was one who was in charge of food. He had plenty of food. It's not as if he didn't have access to food. If anybody had access to food, that would be Yosef. And Yosef was the one who refrained. And Levi was the one who, seemed, who, who did not. So how do we explain this? So Tosos comes along and he says, which, is, uh, the, which takes a size seven or eight sledgehammer to get this into the words, maybe even larger than that, actually. He says, we can say, when Eishlokish says that it's Aser to have relations, although he says Aser, Aser doesn't mean Aser. That's why it takes a large uh, sledgehammer to get this one in, because it literally says Aser, and he's saying, but it doesn't really mean it. 
It's only a, a, a behavior which is going to be adopted by those people who want to adopt pious practices. Those people who want to go above and beyond what's, what's, what's required, somebody like Yosef, so he's going to go ahead and refrain. The Yosef Loshimish. And therefore, Yosef, who was a particular, he was not only Yosef HaTzadik, according to Tosos now, he's Yosef HaChassid. So being that Yosef was the one who went out of his way, so this practice of refraining from intimacy during a time of famine is not a real prohibition. It's something which, but it's a practice which pious people may go ahead and adopt. Aval, But other people, even Yosef's brothers, who were in the midst of the famine, like Levi, so they went ahead and they engaged in Purvu, they went ahead and engaged in the uh, in relations, because it was not actually Yasser. Yes, Alan? So I'm assuming that means that Yochevet was not Levi's only child, first child, because oh, so previously we had said that an, uh, a couple with a childless couple could go ahead. Excellent, excellent. So now that's thank you very much for the segue into source three. So this is Revilio Mizrahi. Revilio Mizrahi is sometimes known as the Re'aim, or when you're talking about him in terms of Chumash, he's known as the Mizrahi. But he wrote, he's one of the commentators on the commentary of Rashi. I think they refer to it as a super commenta- commentary or something like that. But he's a Pirish on Rashi, very extensive uh, Pirish on Rashi. And he says, he writes as follows. He says, the Shema Yeshlomar, maybe we could say, Kevin the Efshalavatum Imperia Verivya. So being that, you cannot that the it, it, like we said in the Gemara, that somebody like in Ellen just reminded us that somebody who does not have children uh is not bound by this restriction. So may very well be that since you cannot prevent the fulfillment of the Mitzvah of Puravu, Ellen can Yeshlomikhlabanov. So Pruvu includes not only sons, but it includes for, to fulfill the mitzvah. So it has to be a daughter. I'll leave it to Kulayam according to everybody. Kid, it's not be Yavamas like we say over there. Uh, right? Ube Perakama de Tainus. And in the first Perak of Tainus, this is the Gemara that we started with, source number one. So it says, Chasuchei Banim, Mutu Kedeshli So those who do not have children are not bound by this restriction because. The uh, this restriction does not stand in the way, cannot be an impediment to the mitzvah of Puravu. And therefore, and that's why Yochevet could have been conceived during the time of famine, because Levi, although he may have had many sons, but he didn't have daughters as of yet until Yochevet was born. And since he had not yet fulfilled the mitzvah of Puravu, so that's why he was not bound by this restriction. Being that he didn't have a daughter yet, and therefore that's why it would be permitted. Now, what are you going to ask me? So, if the Mizrahi is saying that the reason why Levi, why Yochavid was conceived during the time of famine, was only because her father had not yet done the Mitzvah Puravu, because until that point he only had sons rather than daughters, and therefore, since he since there was no Mitzvah Puravu, he wasn't bound by the restriction. So, therefore, the question then becomes on the Mizrahi. Oh, yeah, that Yosef also only had sons. Yosef only had two sons. So if Yosef only had two sons, so what, if, if that's a heter for Levi, it's a heter for Yosef too. So what, what does the Mizrahi mean when he says, oh, I understand why for Levi, it was, really it is Osir, 
But Levi had a special head there because he was not Mekayim Pruvu as of yet. He didn't have a daughter. And therefore, therefore the Kiddush is that if you haven't done Pruvu, so then the restriction doesn't apply. Okay. So uh, that how, means about, that... how about Yosef uh, was following the opinion of the Beit Shammai that you could just have two sons? Yeah, that, uh, excellent. Excellent. So it could be. Uh, that, I, I think I think Levi also had two sons. No, he's, Bob is suggesting that maybe there's Machlokas Levi and Yosef, whether he passed like Beisham or Beisilo. Oh, so, oh, I see. <laughs> excellent. So th- th- that could be. Sounds like the beginning of a good drasha for you, Bob. <laughs> but so, but the base Yosef. So, but but as a rule, it's important halachic idea to to know is that we will all we will always assume. That everybody holds halacha What everybody will um, subscribe to the view which we hold is halacha lemaisa, unless we can't say that. So we'd rather go ahead and figure out some other way to reconcile this, rather than to say that the machlokes uh, Levi and Yosef was the machlokes beishama and beisilo, because we'd rather not align anybody with beishama if we don't have to. But before we get to the answer. So the Beis Yosef asked this exact question. Thank you very much for those who uh, who preempted the uh, Beis Yosef. He asked on the Mizrahi, he says, Kasha, he says, I don't understand. If the whole reason Levi could have children is because he didn't have a daughter yet, so that same reason applies to Yosef, and he should also, it, the restriction shouldn't have applied. He also didn't have a daughter. Because if he did have a daughter, she would have been counted as one of the 70 souls that entered Mitzrayim, and we didn't count any daughters, we only counted his two sons. So clearly there were no daughters over there. So the Mizrahi's answer is very difficult to understand because it doesn't explain the difference between what Levi did versus what Yosef did. Okay. Now, um, uh, right, so now the Ran. This is what the commentary on the uh, the riff in Meseches Tainus. So the Ran is also bothered by the same question: that how could we, how could Reish Lakish come along and tell us that the uh, that couple is not allowed to engage in inti- intimacy during ta- during a time of famine? And precedent is taken from Yosef Atzadik, who had two boys before the famine began. When we say that. And he just begins with the question, the Ron says, even though we say in Baba Basra, she was conceived as they were traveling down to Mitzrayim, and she was born as they were entering Mitzrayim. So clearly there was intimacy going on during the famine. And we know that during those nine months there was that they were experiencing the famine. Because the Pasuk says, because there were two years into the famine, and there was going to be another five years of famine to go. So it's not even as if they, they anticipated that the famine is ending now, because the expectation was another five years of famine. So the Ran comes up with a different terrorist. He says, the reason why it was allowed is, because the prohibition, the restriction against intimacy during a time of famine is is only because when Klal Yisrael is experiencing distress. Okay. And Yaakov's family, so they know that they had food. 
there's a whole wart which they say about why they went down when they really had food. They didn't want to antagonize the nations around them, so they pretended as if they didn't have food. But they knew about themselves that the, the members of Klayosol who were there, the 60-some, the 66 people who were traveling down to, uh, to Mitzrayim, they actually had food. So since they were not in Tsar, so there was no reason for them to go ahead and uh, uh, practice this restriction because they were fine. The rest of the world may not have had food, but Yaakov and his sons actually did have food. But the Yosef nami yodim hayubo shayuberavach, and somehow, and the Ron does explain how they knew, but it's not even as if they thought maybe there are some members of Klai Yisrael who who were experiencing distress. Because the Ron writes that the 66 knew that Yosef and his family were also just fine, that they were also not experiencing distress. How they knew that, we're not exactly clear. We'll see. The, the, the base Yosef is going to ask that. But Yosef, who wasn't in touch with his father or his brothers, he assumed that they were experiencing the famine the same as the rest of the world. And therefore, since Yosef assumed that they were experiencing tsar, that's why he refrained from intimacy. But Levi, who knew that they were not in tsar, there was no tsar in the world that Klai Yusuf was experiencing at that time, and therefore the restriction did not apply to him. That's the way the Ran wants to explain it. Comes along the base Yosef, and he says, I don't, I don't get what the Ran is saying. He says, that which the Ron writes, that the brothers knew that Yosef had plenty of food, any of them, how did they know? How did they know he had plenty of food? How did they know nine or seven months before they went down to Mitzrayim to go ahead and purchase food from Yosef? How did they know already that, that Yosef was, number one, alive? Number two, he was in Mitzrayim. And number two, he was in a position in Mitzrayim where he had plenty of food. If you look at the simple reading of the Pesukim, they had no clue whether Yosef was alive or dead. Until next week's Parsha, when he goes ahead and he discloses his identity to them. So at this point, in case they had no clue. They, they assumed he was dead. And then they went out to Mitzrayim. And therefore, not knowing that he was that that Yosef was alive or or dead or not, so they uh, they clearly were uh, uh, um, uh, despite that or possibly knowing, not even that, but the, the, this idea that they knew ahead of time and that's why they were not uh, required to refrain from intimacy. So the Bosef, Bosef Yosef says, I don't know where the Ron went ahead and made that up from. I don't know where that notion came from. It's something which is a bit mysterious. So now the question though still remains. So what was the story? Why was Yosef bound by this restriction and Levi not? So therefore, the Beis Yosef comes along with a, a, a novel approach. And he says, It seems to me, The truth is, and we find this in different areas of halacha, that whenever we try and derive a halacha based on something which happened before Matan Torah, there's always a possibility that we could say that though since the Torah wasn't given yet, that restriction doesn't apply. So here the Beis Yosef comes along and says that the, the restriction against intimacy during a time of famine is limited to post-Matan Torah. Before Matan Torah, there is no such real restriction. And therefore, if you ask the question, why was Levi 
how, how did Levi conceive Yocheved before, during the time of famine? Because the restriction didn't apply. It's possible. There was no restriction at that time. Ah, but then, then that begs the question. But what about the fact that Reish Lakish proves this halacha from Yosef's behavior? Yosef was also alive before Man Torah. So says the, uh, says the Yosef, eh, we're not really learning the halacha from Yosef's behavior. Really, the halacha is something which Chazal came up with on their own. But whenever Chazal could come, come along and link their innovations or their restrictions to a pasuk in the Torah, which we call an asmachta, so they'll always go ahead and make an effort to do so, because that way, every year when you when you uh, review the parsha, you'll review, you'll be reminded of that particular halacha. So it's not that the halacha is actually derived from the pasuk, but the pasuk just serves as a reminder of the halacha. And we just, from that extra phrase of that the, that Yosef had the sons before the famine, that serves now as a reminder to this halachic innovation of Chazal that in order to participate, in order to experience the tsar of the tzibur, so there's going to be restrictions on behavior. But it's just something which Chazal linked to that pasuk. But it's not as if that was a an existing halacha, which as if it's a daraisa. This is some sort of daraisa restriction in that regard. Viteda shekenu, and I'll prove to you the Beis Yosef says that there's no real restriction against intimacy. There's no real iser, meaning from the Torah. Because, as the, with the Gemara itself said, those who don't have children, the restriction does not apply to them during the time of famine because you have an actual Doraisa of Puravu, which is going to prevail over the over Chazal. And before he had the two sons, obviously he was childless. And he was allowed to have relations. Even if it was a time of famine, if he did not have children, he would clearly be allowed to go ahead and engage in, uh, in, 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 in intimacy. So how can we go ahead and point to these psukim about Yosef to prove this halacha, to teach this halacha? Therefore, the Bosi Yosef says that this is Chazal's innovation, and the association, the connection to these psukim is just something which Chazal do, which we call an asmachta, but it's not as if the halach is actually derived from there. And that's why there are this allowance for all of these various uh, leniencies, circumstances of leniencies, when it would not apply. Okay. So we have an interesting debate back and forth between um, some of the Rishonim and some of the earlier Achronim about this. But now at some point we have to go ahead and say, okay, how does this, how does this make its way into Shulchan Aruch? What's going, how does Shulchan Aruch Paskin? Is it actually an Isser, like the simple reading of the Gemara? Is it just a, a, a pious behavior uh, for Hasidim? As Toso says, what's going on? So this halach appears actually in two different places in Shulchan Aruch. One is in yeah. Simon Reish Mem, the, 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 and the oh, other so, is Tafkaf Ayin Daud. The, the print on the screen is got wide, and some of it is off the edge. We can't see it. Uh, anybody else? You can see it all. Oh, I can't see it all. I don't know why. 
Uh, all right, I'll figure maybe something's with my computer. I didn't do anything to change uh, the display. Okay. I wouldn't even know what to do to change the display. So, <laughs> so Shulchan Aruch says, Timon Reish Mem Sipiud Beis, also Shamash Mitaso Bishnei Ravon, Ella Lechasuch Evanim. So here, the uh, Shulchan Aruch uh, uh, extracts, extrapolates from the direct language of the Gemara that is prohibited to for intimacy during a time of famine unless one is childless, unless the couple is childless. Okay, that, so that's number one. So the uh, Shulchan Aruch goes ahead and adopts the simple reading of Shulchan Aruch, uh, of the Gemara, that Aser means Aser. Now, here's going to become an important thing as we move on to the remaining two sources. That's the second place that this halacha appears. And now the Ramah says, This restriction against intimacy is, although the Gemara only mentions Shnasr Avod, it only mentions a time of famine, the Ramah now expands this and says, the same thing is going to be true of any circumstance of distress, which Klai Yisrael experiences, Shehem Kira'avon, which are similar to a time of famine. So now it's no longer famine, it's any tsara which is similar to famine during any of those similar type of circumstances. So this restriction, this prohibition of intimacy is going to apply. Okay, now, Litzitz Eliezer, so he uh, explores this uh, this halacha, he was exploring it, I think, specifically in the Yom Kippur War, around the Yom, uh, the Yom Kippur. Was either the Yom Kippur War or the Sixth Day uh, War? But he one day he was asked by uh, he writes at the beginning of the Tshuva, he was asked by many people whether or not a when Klal when the state of Israel is in the middle of a battle, so is that considered to be a tsara? Is that considered to be a circumstance of distress which Klal Yisrael is in? Which then this prohibition, however we're going to apply it, but during which time this prohibition would apply. So here comes along in the, uh, the, uh, the uh, Tzitz Eliezer. This is the middle of his shuva, but this is an interesting uh, a point that he raises. And he says, Ulam nir. He says, after thinking about the sources, it would seem, that we don't really have a clear source that says during a time of milchama which is what Klai is experiencing now in 2023 in Tavshin Pei that there's a clear indicator that this restriction would apply. Because he, the Tzitz Eliezer says, the Ramah adds a phrase which seemingly he didn't have to say. Because the, the Ramah said when he expanded this halacha, bring it back down again, he said the same thing is going to be true by any other tzara, Shehem kiravon, any other tsara which is like hunger. Madu Allahu speak rak mashakasov. Why was it sufficient for the Ramah simply to write Vuadin Bisharzaros? That not only does this restriction apply during famine, but applies during any tsara that Klayusel experiences. And when the Ramah adds these two additional words, that it's a tsara which is similar to hunger. Those words imply that not every tsara is going to be similar to the tsara of hunger. That there's a characteristic, a, a count, there's a, a particular characteristic which is associated with the tsara, the distress of hunger. And only when other forms of distress 
have that same characteristic, does the restriction apply? But there's a possibility that there could be tsaras which are dissimilar to the tsara of hunger, and then the restriction against intimacy does not apply. Velomer Devainan in the extra two words seem to indicate that that the only time the restriction applies is when it is a distress similar to hunger. And says it's Eliezer, Mamashi was a, an unbelievable Gaon who had a tremendous amount of a bikias. He was a, had a tremendous breadth of knowledge, but he was also a very deep thinker and analytical, uh, was uh, an expert at uh, critical reading and being able to extrapolate from Svarim. So he says, Isponanti, he says, when I thought about this matter, after I raised the question, he says, I think there's actually machlokas, what the Ramah meant by adding those words that, that the restriction applies by any distress similar to hunger. That it is Kishna uh, Shehem uh, Avon. So now he explains. So a sefer called the Olas Tamin. So he writes, that which he writes, that which the Ramah writes, that it's a time of that the distress has to be similar to the hunger. Pirish, what that means is, should goes in a tainus. He says what what the Ramah is alluding to is he's sending us forward in Shulchan Aruch. Where Shokhanar lists a whole bunch of other types of saras which Klai Yisrael would experience for which you would fast, in any type of sara for which you would fast. So this restriction against intimacy is going to is going to apply. And if you look over there in Tafkuf Ainvav, one of the cases of Tsara which would necessitate fasting is when the nations, Kusim doesn't mean Kusim specifically, it means any enemy goes ahead and uh, uh, engages in battle against Klai And therefore, so it seems to be evident that the Olas Tamid is learning that according to the Ramah, even during a time of war, this restriction is going to apply. However, but if you look in the Sefer called the Shayari Knesset Agdola, so he explains that the Yushami maintains that this restriction against intimacy does not apply every time there's a tsara that you fast. So there's a certain category of distress which triggers an obligation to fast. But that's not the same set of characteristics which is going to trigger this restriction or this prohibition against intimacy. And so the only time that there's going to be this restriction of intimacy is only by those uh, experiences of distress which are similar to hunger, meaning it's only going to be when there are things which directly impact the crops. So there's going to be wind blasts, or there's going to be disease in the crops, or there's going to be grasshoppers, or there's going to be locusts, which are going to eat everything. In other words, the way some of this farm understand that is, is that when it is a an act of God, I think that would be the insurance term. So when there's an act of God, which is impacting the distress of Klai Yisrael, which is putting Klai Yisrael into distress, then we see it as, a, as something 
which is coming directly from God, and therefore there's going to be this prohibition against intimacy. Because this is something which is going to impact the food supply, and those things which impact the food supply, that's where you're going to go ahead and there's going to be this restriction against intimacy. But other types of distress, let's say there's a plague which is impacting people, so people are dying from illness, or something which is similar, such as war. So that actually is not similar to hunger. And during other types of distress, so then intimacy is not going to be restricted. So it seems to me that the, the Tzitz Eliezer says, that whether or not a, a time of war is a time when this restriction against intimacy applies may very well be a machlokis achronim, and it happens to be that the final conclusion of the Tzitz Eliezer is to be mako, that it does not apply during a time of war. It's limited to things such as a hunger or wind blasts or disease in the crops, but not other types of distress. Okay, now the last thing I want to uh, show you over here is from a safer called Nemuke Erechayim. So this is from the Mooncatcher. Well, the, uh, the, the Mooncatcher. Would these restrictions what? apply during Chagim? Um, seemingly would apply during Chagim, yeah. I didn't see anybody saying that it gets suspended for Shabbos or it gets suspended for the, uh, the Chagim, so I would assume so. So the Nemuke Erechayim is the Mooncatcher Rebbe, the original Mooncatcher Rebbe, who was not only Hasidish Rebbe, but he was very uh, well versed in halacha. Wrote the Minchas Alazar, wrote a couple volumes of uh, of tshuvas, and he wrote this commentary on Orachayim. So he also in now in he lived. I don't know. I, I don't know his exact history. Whether he lived around the First World War or around the Second World War or between the two wars, but he's somebody who during his lifetime experienced the world being in distress because of war. So he writes, He says, the Chachamim of our times have expressed uncertainty about what's going to be the application of this halacha during a, a, a drawn-out battle, which is a world war. Is it appropriate to have relations? Is it appropriate to apply the restriction against relations? What's going to be the story? How are we going to apply this halacha during wartime? Says the Munkacher. Well, the Fiyan is daiti pshita. He says, it seems to me obvious. Now he begins, his analysis begins with fasting. And then towards the end, he'll, he'll extend from fasting to intimacy. But he begins with the topic of fasting. And he says that during a time of war, you don't have to fast. Keva du dvarim she'elem shir. Because war is something which can go on for a long, long period of time. And if you go ahead and you apply this restriction, so who knows when it could possibly ever end? And he says, even in our times, so the war hasn't fully come to, uh, hasn't fully come to an end. Sometimes the battle is taking place in one country, and then during another time it's Wait. happening in another part of the world. But if if if, if you're going to make that that statement, then uh, is he saying that the original source for Yosef two years is not considered a long time? 
Yeah, so I, I, I was wondering the same thing. I don't know what he meant by that. It could be over there because it was supposed to be seven years, right? Yosef's own uh, interpretation of the dream was it was going to be for seven years. If seven years is, isn't a, a long time, I'm not sure what would be a long time. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know. But Ubeprat, he says, now we're going to have a transliteration. Ubeprat Medinat, the next word? Soviet. Soviet. And then he says in, in the brackets over there, Oh, I put I put a two kuf in there. Now look at it. A uh, uh, Bolshevikin, right? The Bolsheviks. So he says specifically during this time where we have where he says during uh, the the uh, the Soviet Union or Russia, You've got millions of Jews who are there in Russia, the Soviet Union. Also appropriate for uh, for Hanukkah, and uh, under uh, communist Russia, so there was a there was a decree against religion, and there was an active attempt to go ahead and to get rid of Torah, to eradicate Torah, and belief in the existence of a God who is the Creator. And as far as we can see, looking towards the future. Communist Russia is going to be communist forever. How are they supposed to know that, uh, you know, in the 80s, that they were going to tear down the uh, the wall? But during the time that they were there, they were powerful, and there was no way that they were they were in such sorrow. But what did you expect Klai Yisrael to do? That the entire millions of people are not going to be able to have, be intimate at all, and they're not going to have children because of that? I'm sorry, sorry. Now, are we expecting them to fast? You didn't get up to... Uh, um, the intimacy yet. Are we expecting them that they're going to fast indefinitely because they find themselves in the tsara of the uh, of the communists? And then he says, least anos And if we're going to conclude that because this is a never-ending circumstance that they don't have to fast, he says certainly to go ahead and to say that couples, married couples, are not able to engage in intimacy, there's no way we can apply that restriction to something which effectively or essentially has no end in sight to it. And therefore, he rejects the premise that it's going to be that during a war or during communist Russia, that this restriction would apply. And then he says a great thing. He throws it in parentheses, but he gets a, a little bit philosophical, which I appreciated very much. And he says, Vim calls that He's now, again, he's writing this at the beginning of the 20th century. He says, clearly, we're in the process of of the birth pangs of the coming of Mashiach. As elaborated on by the prophecy of our Nevi'im and by Chazal in the Gemara. As they give descriptions of what the generation is going to look like and what's going to be experienced in the world in the generation where Mashiach is going to come. And the reason for all of the illnesses, I don't know if he means physical illnesses or spiritual illnesses, as well as the various forms of distress which Klai Yisrael will endure. But now he says, this is the part which is like so creative. He says, He says that we know that Chazal and the Nevi'im tell us that this period of distress in this period of hardship is going to continue through that's what birth pangs are they continue 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 until mashiach is here so it's not as if there's an end in sight for when this is going to go until mashiach actually comes 
So this is going to go on. We're in this for the long haul until the arrival of Mashiach. So v'harei kaimalan, and the Gemara in Yevamis tells us de'ain ben David ba and sheichlu kol neshama shemaguf that the Chazal tell us that there's a there's an area in Shemaim, there's a spiritual world, which is called Goof. That's the name of it. And it's that spiritual area, you look it up on Google Maps, and you go ahead and you look over there, and you'll see that that is the origin of where souls come from. The Shamas come from this place in Shemaim, which is called Goof. And Chazal tells us, Gemara Yavamas tells us, that Mashiach cannot come until this spiritual area called Goof is emptied out of all of the souls, meaning all of the souls which are contained there were now put into human bodies and they entered into this physical world. That's the only way Mashiach is going to come. So the Munkacher is saying that we find ourselves in the birth bangs of Mashiach, which means we're right on the verge of Mashiach coming, but Mashiach can't come until all the Neshamas leave that spiritual place in Shemaim and they enter into our physical world. So how are we going to empty out all of those souls from their spiritual location in Shemaim and uh, uh, and be able to enter into our physical world if nobody's engaging in intimacy? It's, it, that itself is going to be the ma'ake, that itself is going to be the impediment to Mashiach coming because the neshamas have no place to come. So he says, how is it possible to even entertain the possibility that nobody's going to get engaged in Puravu because of World War One, World War Two, the Yom Kippur War, the Six-Day War, the war, whatever they're going to name this war, Iron Sword, whatever it's going to be. How are you going to say that people can't engage in Puravu if that itself is going to prevent Mashiach from coming? Because he can't come to all the souls have left. And by not engaging in Puravu, what you end up doing is you end up extending the duration of time of these tsaras, of this distress, and you end up putting a roadblock preventing the Geula from actually taking place. So therefore, on a spiritual level, there's no way we could go ahead and say that this is something which has to be enforced and this is something which has to be done, because if we were to follow it, Mashiach's not coming. And therefore, we engage in these things to make sure, to try and hasten it, to do what we can, to make sure that Mashiach does come. And that is sort of like a spiritual perspective, which the Munkach goes at and adopts, and the, he overlays onto this halacha as another reason why, specifically in this time in which we find ourselves in the Hevle Mashiach, that there's no way that this restriction can apply, because then we're going to be in here indefinitely. And therefore, the uh, the consensus of the post game certainly seems to be that these restrictions of uh, of intimacy are not going to apply during a time of war. All righty. Uh, Thank you, Rabbi Shaffel. Have a good Shabbos. Okay, so that is.